Should be. Should be. Well, good evening. Um, good chili. Good to see all y'all here. Let's pray and let's start. Lord, we're grateful for the fellowship that we have in Jesus Christ and with one another because of the cross of Christ. And we are uh, we're grateful for the conversations that we can share when we will meet over a meal to encourage one another, to, to learn more about the the ways that you have providentially worked in our lives and just know how things are going this week. Uh, we, we pray that these relationships will continue to grow. I think through the diversity of, of people here, uh, different age groups and backgrounds and educations and works and all sorts of things, God, that you, you have brought us together uh, so that we can grow to Christ like this. I pray that as we look to your word tonight, we continue to unify us around your word by your spirit. Christ's name. Well, I think we just have maybe a couple more of these. Um, we're going to start getting a little more pointed to the to the reason for this, this or back to the original question uh, tonight. So if you'll remember, all of this began um, because the Baptist faith message, which is our statement of faith, says that uh, baptism. Believer baptism uh, would receive communion, and we don't currently practice that as a church. And uh, I thought it would be wise to um, go all the way back to the beginning of what communion is and talk about whether whether we should practice that as a church, not communion, but the believer baptism requirement for communion. And so it's. It brings in all sorts of questions about communion. And my goal, here's, here, let me just get to my goal. My goal is that we would be unified together as a church as to what we believe and um, and, and and who should take it. So, so when we practice communion together, when we take the Lord's table together, um, we all know what we're doing. That's the goal. Whatever it is we decide as a church, I'd like us to be able to be of one mind in that. And so there, that's... That's the primary goal. If that means that we have to have an asterisk by that section of the uh, Baptist faith and message, uh, or teach it slightly differently uh, in our membership classes, that's okay with me. I just want to make sure that we're all on the same page, all right? So we we're there. So we we've mostly been working in this study um, from First Corinthians. First Corinthians is is the the big teaching in Scripture about the Lord's Supper because uh, the, the Paul is teaching the Corinthian church correcting the Corinthian church because of their long-headedness regarding the Lord's Supper. So we ended last month <clears throat> with Paul's instruction to the Corinthians. Uh, and, and if you remember, he, he was instructing them to examine themselves before they take communion. And we determined, uh, I taught you, hopefully you also determined this, that the self-examination instruction was given to the church so that individuals would reflect on whether or not they were truly in Christ when they took the supper. So, so just as in the way of, by way of discussion, what sort of cues or clues or signs might you be looking for in your own life in this self-examination time? This is for you to discuss. What are some of the things that tell us that we are truly in Christ? Yes. Okay, all right. And so you, you, you know that you're forgiven in Christ. Josh, you can teach us through First John. What are some of the things that John tells us? Give us affirmation, assurance, 
that we are in Christ. And by that we mean knowing that Jesus is the Christ and what that means. We're looking, but we're looking for right now, what are the things that give us assurance when we are self-examining uh, before we take the suffers, before we see this as instruction? We're looking for things in our own life as far as salvation. Yes. So let's keep going then. So, so the impetus behind this self-examination that was uh, in, in the Corinthian church, so to get to, to add that point here, so the Corinthians weren't just, for them it wasn't just a matter of, am I a Christian like forgiven? They had an additional problem, because the reason Paul is instructing them is because they were disunited, disunified as a church. They had, they had no unity. Um, and, and remember, as we talked about last time, that the cross accomplished more than forgiveness of sins, and certainly not less than. It accomplished more than forgiveness of sins, uh, that, that God and man reconciliation. Christ through the Spirit brought us together horizontally as one body. So we're together, we're one body in Christ together. He made us a new creation, one man. That is that's the work of the cross, uh, Christ on the cross. So every time we eat the bread and drink the cup, we're testifying, I've been forgiven and made new, so I've, I'm a new covenant Christian, I've been forgiven in Christ, his, his, his blood has washed me, and I've been brought into his one body, which is church. Right. So those, those two realities we're testifying to every time we take communion. Um, we see this one bodiness, this this unity, um, all over the place in the New Testament. You actually see it in Paul's uh, writings. It's really big. Uh, so think about Ephesians chapter four. Can someone read Ephesians chapter four, verses eleven through sixteen? And this is one of my favorite passages, so I put it in every teaching that I can. Ephesians <laughs> 4, 11 through The, the oneness here as individual Christians, our maturity in the faith is in growing closer to, together as Christians. We, uh, uh, we cannot be a solo mature Christian. There's no such thing as Christian. There's no, it's impossible. No Christian is an island. There's, there's no 
No, no, no one sitting in their basement on their own without the church body and, and growing in Christ. Because the way that the Bible talks about growing in Christ is other Christians growing together in Christ together into maturity. So this is this is the way, and, and it's also re related to that self-examination idea, right? So our self-examination is not just, am I living a life of repentance and faith in Christ? But also, have I, by being united to Christ, also been united to others in Christ? Those those are inseparable Christian principles. Cannot separate them and, and say they're Christian. That's the that's the self-examination question Paul is, is exhorting the, the Corinthians to ask. And, and it's interestingly, it's not just Paul. So this is one of these self-examination questions in First John. Um, so First John two verses seven through eleven. Can someone read that for us? So you have the, the, uh, the Apostle John looking at two groups of people, saying the ones who love the Christians are, are walking in the light, and those who hate the Christians are not walking in the light, they're in the darkness. Which is to say, when you're examining your own faith, do you love other Christians? Okay, so, very good likelihood, high likelihood, according to the that you're a Christian. Of course, there's some other things involved in there, aren't there? If you get tested by the Jesus of Christ, you born again. Is there sanctification happening in your life? But love of other Christians is, is one of those primary markers for all the apostles. Peter looks for this as well. So in, in 2 Peter chapter 1, you have this, this list of virtues that he's um, adding, climaxing with um, brotherly affection and love. So Make every effort to supplement your faith. So because of faith, add virtue. Virtue with knowledge. Knowledge with self-control. Self-control with steadfastness. Steadfastness with godliness. Godliness with brotherly affection. Brotherly affection with love. It's sort of the, the pinnacle of the Christian faith. Now, love is not just a generic love. It's love for the church. It's love for other Christians. That is Christian maturity. Um, because that is what Christ has made us into. So when you're, as, as a Christian, as you're maturing, you're growing more into what Christ has already created in you. Uh, and, and Peter goes on to say, practice these things, and you will confirm your calling and election. He's saying, do you want to be confident that you are a Christian? Practice these things. John is saying, do you want to be confident that you're a Christian? Practice these things. Paul is saying, do you want to be confident that you're a Christian? Examine yourself to see whether or not you're in the faith. Or are you loving brethren? That's that is Christian faith. So being born again is being born again into Christ and living that new creation life as a member of Christ's body. It's a very succinct picture that Paul paints for us in John and Peter's Any questions about that? Any disagreement? Pushback? Um so, so then our self-examination prior to the Lord's Supper is asking, is that true of me? That's, that's all he's told us to do. Is that true? Now we'll come back to this in a moment, but first I want us to look at the rest of that passage. Yes. Yes, please, go ahead. I was hoping for some pushbacks, so it's good. 
It's a good question. Um, I think you're looking for some of the marks of the Spirit's work in our life, and the Spirit will help us. So I, I, I believe when we look back, when I look back in my own life and say, all right, I know when I was an 18 year old Christian, um, I was impatient, I was, I had very little self control, um, I really was concerned with what other people thought of me. Um, so fear of man was, was big. And as the Spirit has sanctified me, as I've grown in Christ, I can say I am more patient. Uh, I can say that lust is also getting older, so it's not as big an issue. But there's, there, there is sanctification happening. And then you can ask my wife. She can say, yeah, there's sanctification happening in your life. Like, What's up with me? So there you go. There, there's a lot of reasons why the, the Spirit is continuing to, uh, uh, why we can look at the Spirit's work in our lives. Not, it's not to say that we are uh, earning our salvation in any way, but recognizing the Spirit's work in our lives is key there. Um, we're resting, of course, in Christ's work for us, but when we question whether or not we're truly in Christ, the Spirit helps us. The Spirit testifies to our Spirit. That is a danger. I agree. There is. Uh, especially for um, uh, stolen wits. Um, some personalities, I think, are more prone to self-doubt, self-hate, and so on. And some um, are overconfident. <laughs> and so I'm doing great um, when they're not. So it's like, you're right. That is very much a danger. Um, Get to your question soon, but Paul's going to help us understand why we do this in just a moment. Go ahead, Justin. I was going to say, I thought Russell's answer was helpful in that. Yeah. You can tell if you're trusting in your own ability to be holy is if you answer that by, well, it's okay, I'll just try harder. Yeah. Versus, no, I'm, I'm trusting in Christ. Yes. And yeah. And this gets back to um, Josh's teaching in 1 John. When we are, if it is through abiding in Christ, that fruit begins to grow in our lives, then, then we remember that it's not us forcing the fruits out of the branches. It's the branch leaning into the vine or, or abiding in the vine and, and, and then looking out at, its, at the fruit that the vine produced through us and going, let's try to look what the vine has done. That's uh, abiding. But yes, very, very, good, very good distinction lest we come from the cat in our so there's always something that to constantly be checking ourselves with. And that, I mean, even Christians, as you know, will disagree on some of these uh, minor points. So, um, so let's keep going in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 11. We're going to look at verses uh, 28 now and following. So 28 is where it starts, where we kind of left off last time. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 28. Let a person examine himself then. And so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. So it's, this is a, a command, isn't it? Do this. Let a person examine himself and so eat the bread and drink the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. This is, I think, a particular warning for the overconfident. That hey, I you know, I I pray this in his prayer, I'm fine. I know I'm a Christian because I've raised this prayer, or I was baptized, so I know I'm a Christian. I don't have to examine myself anymore. Or I'm with these Corinthian people. I know that I'm fine. Paul said, yeah, that's not always the case. You need to examine yourself. Because from the looks, from the outward appearance in the Corinthian church, that's not, you're not acting like Christians. You're, you're, you're getting drunk at the Lord's table and, and not giving any of the food to the lesser people in your church, or what you consider the lesser. So discerning here is judging. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, that's the, that's the self-examination. That's the judging. 
that, that we're doing. So the instruction that Paul's giving is judge yourself or the Lord will judge you. And the Corinthian church found this out the hard way. They, they were not discerned. They were not judging themselves. And so they received a, uh, a, a temporal judgment from the Lord. Look at verse 30. It says, that is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. So they had not judged themselves before taking the Lord's Supper. Supper. So they were proclaiming Christ's work by taking the Lord's Supper and, and then living out a, a total contradiction of Christ's work. So they're saying through one act of taking the cup and the bread that Christ has made them new and into one body. And at the same time, intentionally, this is what you would call in the Old Testament, sin of the high hand. They're intentionally denying the oneness of the body of Christ by treating each other, uh, separating out into different factions and uh, showing favoritism to the rich and um, looking down upon the, the poor. They, they were not one body, but they were living as if they were one body. So what did the Lord do? He judged them as a disciplinary measure by sending this weakness to some, illness to others, and in some cases, death. I want to ask you, because I want to make sure, in order, in order to even take a step further, do you really believe that happened before? Yes, there's a yes. Yes, another yes. He knows. You'd be really embarrassed to say it, I know it. You can tell me afterwards that you don't believe. But I believe this really happened. It's in the Bible, right? Paul says it's happened. And the Holy Spirit, through Paul, saying that it's happened. It's, it's just in God's Word. So, if this really happened to the church... Um, then that, that makes a difference on how we think about what's happening here. Because if this is just a myth, then Paul's instruction is just a suggestion. And he's just using mythology to scare them. And, it, and then that opens up the door for us to do communion however we want, right? We could, uh, we could do whatever is right in our own eyes. Would you agree with that? We could do whatever is right in our own eyes if there is no, if God doesn't really care about what's happening. But if what happened in Corinth is real, if this warning, verse 30, is real, what does that tell us about the Lord's Supper and the Lord? Do we? Um, well, not without consequences. 
Not with exactly without consequences. And, and Corinth was realizing this consequences. I think the biggest takeaway here is how we participate in the supper matters to the Lord. If if First Corinthians eleven is true, and this was happening to the Corinthian church, and the, this discipline was coming from the Lord, there's no way we can get around the fact that how we participate in the Lord's Supper matters to the Lord. Yes. I, I never really thought about this before this way, but so Hebrews tells us. So obviously God has given us the supper as a means of grace. It's something for us. It's not something he needs. Right. It's for us. It's right. for our benefit. Um, so when we are practicing it wrongly, we're actually not receiving the benefit that he intended. And his discipline, Hebrews tells us, is always loving discipline from a father. Yes. So he, he has to discipline us so that we receive the benefit that he intended from the supper. I think that the question that we fail to ask sometimes when we're thinking about this subject, we're considering this issue, is we are concerned more with the visitor who might come into our church and be offended than we are concerned with what God thinks about our worship days. Would you agree to that? This is sometimes true, and I'm saying that as self-reflecting. Yes. Right? Uh, what will the visitor think? What will the visitor think? What does God think? Because this is his worship service. Uh, so, um, clearly the Lord is concerned with the situation in Corinth. He's clearly, and he loves our church as much as he loves the church in Corinth. And if he was willing to go to the length of temporary judgment out of fatherly concern, I think that's what this is, fatherly concern for that church because of their testimony regarding the suffering. We should understand that the Lord has the same fatherly love towards us that he did for them. And those whom the Father loves, just like Saunders pointed out from Hebrews, the Father disciplines when necessary. Right? So that's what's happening in Corinth. You have some discipline happening from the Lord to this church because he loves the church. He does not want them to continue to stray from him. He's using his miraculous means of keeping the church in the day. We, we think of this as kind of a negative thing. This is a positive thing. It's keeping them in, in Christ. This is the Lord's Supper. He's told us how to do it. Not just in what to say, but in also what to think, how to reflect, and how to participate together. So, so look at verse 31. And this is, where, this is where Paul is kind of helping them see what's happening. If we judged ourselves truly, what is the judging of ourselves? That's self-examination, that's right. And I think part of that, I'm just, is yes, we're determining whether we're in faith, but we're also, as we're looking, reflecting on our life, reflecting on our, the way that we treat each other, if in doing that we realize, you know what, the way that I kind of just turned my back on that brother the other day when he, when he needed help, I need to confess that sin to him. I was not showing him brother's love. And when that brother needed and I wanted to finish my video game or whatever it was and just refused to help him out in that way. I need to confess that to myself. That I really that. See what I'm saying? That, that self-reflection will cause us, those, especially those that are in Christ, to realize how we can uh, better reflect what Christ has done in our lives. And so the um, that's what Paul's saying. If we judged ourselves truly, then we would not be judged. If the Corinthians judged themselves truly, then they would realize maybe we should have Lord's Supper together instead of us eating all the good bread and all the good wine and eating the whatever else, the saltines and scraps for the people when they got off work. And that, that reflection would cause them to better reflect the unity that Christ has created in them. If we were to judge ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. That's, that's the purpose of that discipline, is to keep us in the faith. That discipline in Corinth from the Lord, the word of the Lord spoken through Paul, has this, this effect of correcting the church and keeping them in Christ. So when you, it's just like, you guys get this, anytime you discipline a child, you're keeping them from danger. 
grabbed the child by the shirt as they're running into the freeway. It's not yes, maybe you're restricting their freedom, but you're saving their life. That's this is a good thing. Discipline is good. That the discipline in Corinth was good. It has the effect of correcting them, keeping them in Christ. This is one of the means that the Lord uses to keep his people. We say that the Lord's discipline, we also say the church discipline. The purpose of church discipline. So now let's go back to this issue of judging ourselves before taking communion. Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, verse 28, says, Let this person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink the cup. So, should we do that? There's one yes. Some, some other yeses. Okay, yes. All right, okay. Well, I just want to make sure. Um, okay, so this self-examination then. Um, we, we're we're going to do this. We're, gonna, we're all in agreement. It's from the word of the Lord. We, only, we have very little instruction regarding the Lord's Supper. This is one of the things that the Lord has passed down to us. So we're going to do this. The way that I normally do this, um, or if Josh's... Um, administering that's the word person who's administering supper at, at El Cerro normally I say something like this meal is for those who are trusting in Christ and, and, and it, the reason I do that in my protection of you and of the table is it's causing whoever's out there to examine much really in Christ. That is that me. Um, and, and my focus, hold on that. My focus has been primarily on that vertical aspect. Right? That Christian and the Lord, or that individual and the Lord. Right? They've been reconciled to God or they've trusted in Christ. No, what's your question? We could. We're gonna get there. Get there. Yeah. So so Paul takes it a step further. So I I have almost exclusively been talking about that vertical relationship, Christian and the Lord. That's that's it. And, and by doing that, I have reemphasized the already individualistic nature of ourselves. Um, Paul, though, is is doing more than that with his self-examination. That's what I want us to see. Um, he's taking it a step further. Paul's interest, the Holy Spirit's interest in our self-examination, is to also judge whether we are in keep with Christ's horizontal work in uniting believers to himself and one another. Is that what you think he means by discerning the body? Like yes, the body of that's why he uses the word body. Right. Discerning the body, he's thinking your body, you're thinking about the Lord's body, uh, in the, the, the bread and cup, but also the body of Christ. Um, and and when, you, when you look at Paul's language throughout 1 Corinthians, you see that's how he's using that word. And that is that is a key question. Thank you for asking that. Everybody see what he's asking there? But without discerning the body. When he says body, we're talking about our relationship with the Lord, our personal relationship with the Lord, and also with one another because of Christ's work. Uh, one, one commentary I was looking at puts it like this. Self-examination is reflecting on our belonging to Christ. And to belong to Christ means to participate in his giving of himself to God and his kingdom in fellowship with all who are related in this way to the same Lord. So you have that Christ and fellowship. All right? Are we, are we together on this so far? So, now, Adam, you answered this uh, prematurely. How might we, as a church, make sure that this aspect of self-examination is also happening when we take the horizontal? Yeah. And the... So, so, Adam, what was it that you suggested? Okay. Okay. All right. It's good. It's good. And sometimes we talk about that. That yes, go ahead, Jen. Say, say it a little louder. Okay. So, uh, yes, Mike. The covenant. Sometimes you do that. Yeah. So, 
We've done that maybe once before. <laughs> but you're exactly right. horizontally one way I mean probably the most tangible one of the most tangible ways that we express our communion with the horizontal body of Christ is membership in a church there you go yeah. baptism okay all right <laughs> well that's basically the same thing that's what we're getting to so so let's um the primary way that we as Del Cerro commit it's like you're looking at my notes uh, to commit to this one body of Christ reality with one another is church membership. That's a, it's a very basic thing that we do is saying, okay, Christ is, has brought us together in one body, and we are to be living out these, you know, whether whether you're a member of our church or a Christian at, uh, at a Calvary church that doesn't have membership, your command from the New Testament is to live out these one another's, right? So think, what are some of the one another's? Submit to one another, love one another. You look at me sideways. You okay with this? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Encourage one another. Yeah. Okay. What are some other? There's like there's 31 of them. Um, so you don't have to name them all. Forgive one another. Bear one. Yes, very good. Bear one another's burdens. So these are things that we're doing that we're commanded to do as Christians that show our oneness in the body of Christ together. And the way that we've committed at Del Cerro to do that is through membership. All right, so, um, and then we have some requirements for church membership, well, beginning with when well, you must be born again um, into Christ. You're professing the faith. You're able to profess the faith. Um, there are some signs of sanctification in your life, and you've been baptized. All right, so this is why, historically, some churches, perhaps, uh, don't really know for sure, but maybe the majority of Baptist churches in America so much in England, but in America, prior to the attractional church movement, those churches, Baptist churches, required church membership for communion. It's like, oh no, just doesn't require it. Hold on, just hold on. <laughs> church membership is a commitment that a Christian makes to a particular church, a particular group of Christians. If you're a covenant member of a church, then you have committed essentially brotherly love to the other members of the church. That's that's what you're doing. You're saying, I will, I promise, show brotherly love towards you in all of these myriad ways of living out the one another's of the New Testament. Um, so it, 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 this it's a very tangible thing. Church membership is a uh, very real, very effectual way that you have other Christians that you're living out of your faith with other Christians. Um, they're helping you along in the faith. You're submitting to them. They're submitting to you. You are correcting them, they're correcting you, and through that, you're maturing the faith. So that Ephesians 4 stuff is happening in the church. The church is where we live out that death to self, alive in Christ life. I, I, I say this a lot, but if you lived on an island, and I keep talking about the island of Christians, self-control, you never be mad at anybody on that island. But if you work in the kitchen, the church, probably get mad at somebody. If you um, work with Josh and Dustin like I have to, you're probably going to get mad a lot. So, <laughs> just joking. I love you guys. Um, but th this, is, this is just the reality of 
being near each other. And it says we're growing, that the people that the Lord has surrounded you with are sanctifying you. And he's doing that in order to sanctify you. So if you're denying that, you're saying, I don't want any of that, I'm going to do this Christian life all by myself, and then you're going to take communion. Well, there's some, there's some difficulty there. Membership in a local church is a very substantial means of ensuring that that horizontal life, that horizontal uh, effect of the cross is happening in your life. Right? So that's why we prioritize it here. Now, um, here, here's, here's the caveat. This doesn't mean in those days when they practiced this membership before the Lord's Supper in that church. It doesn't mean you had to be a member of the church you were taking communion in. Okay? So, you with me? You visit, someone visits um, uh, uh, that old church in 1700 in uh, Maine. Uh, you don't have to be a member of that church, that particular church, but you do have to be a member of a church. So if you were to visit Charles Spurgeon's church, and uh, this is going back to England, but in the late 1800s, you visit his church, uh, he would say, before he gave communion, that if you are a member of a gospel preaching church, um, then you can take communion at, at their church. Um, so, uh, in, some, in some churches, you might hear that the table fits, something like this. Um, this meal is for those who are trusting in Christ and are baptized members in good standing of a gospel preaching church. Let's kind of break some of that down. Good standing, what does that mean? You're not under church discipline in another church. So you didn't, you didn't leave uh, College Avenue Baptist Church because you're, uh, you're, you're, you're being disciplined by that church because you're... Um, Teaching Mormonism in the Sunday school class, and you come over here so you can take communion. That's 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 not you can't you can't do that. That's, so that's what that good standing means. You're, you're not currently under the discipline of another church. Baptized means whatever that church defines it as. Members means they've been examined by that church in some way and are in submission to that group of Christians, that that local church body. All right. So um, that is one historical way of fulfilling the requirements of First Corinthians. 1128 that horizontal part and say, okay, are you uh, when you before you before we say anything at the table when we're administering the the, uh, the Lord's Supper, you say something no longer applies. Um, where are some strengths to this position? Saying if you're a member of a local church. Okay. If someone visits our church for New Life Presbyterian, they're a member there. We know if they're a member there that that they have been at least according to that church, um, they've been examined by the elders and are, uh, have, are professing faith in Christ. We know that um, that they are if they're in good standing. That means that they're not in any sin. So there, there's some some, good, so some clarity there. It allows us then to, to express that unity across denominations, right? So Lutheran from uh, from a gospel preaching Lutheran church visits our church. And when you say you're a member of a gospel preaching church, then they can say, oh, that's me. I can take communion. Yes, Mark. Yeah, let's say, like Lutherans specifically have that practice. They might have some different issues. You're right. Yeah, they, they would not, for example, they would not let us take communion at their church because we don't agree. So, I mean, I should have said first. They probably, right. wouldn't, they probably wouldn't take the church. They, they, they might not, depending on what kind of Lutheran church they're from. They do. Oh, well, there you go. Okay. So um, it depends on depends on how strict they are and how confessional they are. That's right, and what they believe about the Lord's Supper. But as as Baptists here, if they're members of another church, then we then we are at least our conscience is clear if we say, oh, okay. So you are at least if you are living out that 
horizontal aspect of the Christian faith that your evangelical brother would love somewhere. Make your do not be island Christian. Yeah, go ahead. Just, uh, you know, I've seen some churches before that just put the 
the bread in the cup by the door, you just get it on your way out. No, nothing eaten at all. Um, do we tell people what it is? Do we tell, tell people what it's not? Um, are we, do we just, um, and just to, to, to reduce to the absurd, do, do, we, um, do we not preach? Because, well, people have Bibles and they can read Bibles for themselves. So there, there's this, there's this, you know, line, I know you're not saying that, but there's a line of absurdity if we go, well, we don't want to go too far this way, but we also, and I think you're, what you're, what is, we don't want to go so far this way that we're trying to get into every minutiae of someone's life before they're qualified to take the supper. We don't want that either. Uh, but there is a question of what is the, the right way to do this, what, to the best of our abilities in, in understanding the scriptures as a church. Um, how do we administer the Lord's Supper? Some churches don't what we call fence the table at all. Um, they just allow that to be on that person's conscience. But if we know, like Mark's saying, that by communicating the word to somebody, that the spirit will work through the word and bring conviction to that person, and they'll repent of the sins and turn to Christ, praise God, we saw that happen today. Rather than, well, I don't No, it's a great question. If we were to do that. One of the things that we try to do with the Lord's Supper, uh, and, and I, I, I know I can do a better job of this, is bring out some different aspect of what the Lord's Supper is every time we do it. Um, so some, one, one week we might talk about how you know, this is, this, this is the, the, the new Passover week. Uh, we, we might talk about it as this is that uh, a reflection of that um, the, the bread of the presence. Um, we'll talk about Melchizedek in a couple weeks. Uh, in, in Genesis chapter 14, there's bread and wine there. Exactly. So there's a lot of different aspects that the Lord's Supper helps us reflect on all of Scripture. 
Um, and so we try to bring that out each time, and, and, and maybe just the reflection part can be another one of the pieces to bring out. Uh, obviously, we don't want to have a sermon on it every time. Um, some some churches do the Lord's Supper every week, and so you end up that would be you know, 15 minutes. So there's there's some practical issues we have to deal with, but you're right. It's a little wise. Other comments on that? Other uh, Yes, go on. So I think uh, I'm just thinking about what we say before the supper and how I think when when um, like when we say that if you're a if you're trusting in Christ then you can take the supper. Yeah. I think especially in like this is just thinking like more practically I think, but in the in the kind of the pluralistic culture that we live in, I've had examples where well, there's one example where I was at Del Cerro with a family member. Who I, I know is who I know is not a, a Christian, and I didn't. I know that that family member didn't think that they're a Christian, but there was still the concern that like like if if the if the direction is if you've been baptized if you're a baptized believer if you're you know you're trusting in Christ and you're baptized it eliminates um, like a lot of is it more clear for some people yeah from my from my perspective it was like. While this person knows that they're not a Christian in the true sense, they might think um, they like the sermon. They they kind of had a you know, and and the pressure of not you know staying seated and stuff like that. Okay. Like all that of that, all of that kind of um, makes it, it. It seems like risky to like just leave it up to every individual who's in the room. Okay. Which gets back to Russell's question: Is how much yeah. responsibility? To basically just on. interpret for themselves. This thing that they shouldn't be. Yeah. Get, they, they don't have the authority to interpret. Yeah. Okay. Any questions? Yes. Or good, good observations. I try not to look. <laughs> First of all, just, just one, one quick, uh, we're, we're never worthy of the Lord's Supper. That, that's the first thing. So it is by grace alone that you're saved. So, but if there is unrepentance in your life and you realize, I need to confess to sinner. I am, I am I really, I'm at odds. I'm not reconciled with this brother. That would be a time when you would take it. And I, I think that, I would hope that as a church, we would be close enough to one another. If, if you're sitting next to someone and you saw they didn't get up, I've had that experience. Someone, not at this church, but a previous church. Someone, I saw someone pass. It was we were passing the plate, and I saw them not take. Someone who I knew was a Christian, mm-hmm. and so I just talked to them about, "Hey, I noticed you didn't take the supper. What's going on?" And they had some issues, and we talked through it, and was able to encourage them. That's a, and that's a really great yeah. point, though. What do we do? Because there are going to be times when you when you don't, um, and that. Reminder who we are together as a body. Okay. I guess one question I would have about requiring messages. If you do that. 
Our, when I was thinking about this today, what do you do about the Calvary? 
Yeah. So this is, again, this is a discussion. I think one of the other issues that, and we'll talk about this issue next time, um, is well, how do we think about kids? Um, you know, I like kids too. So um, one of one of the issues we have to think about is shows like uh, Georgia and Luke are 11 and um, 14, and they haven't been baptized yet. They're professing believers. They can't be members until they're baptized. Um, they're professing believers. They're, um, I think they understand the faith very well. Um, but we are very cautious with baptism. And uh, we don't want to give them a false assurance. So these are, these are, there's a lot of complicating factors that go into this. Yes, Mark? That's a good, and that, Russell, that's your question. testimony to one another and to visitors of, of what Christ has done for us. 